You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. Soaring commodity prices, rising headline inflation, and weakening economic growth. For those whose memories stretch back to the 1970s, this combination brings painful memories. It reminds them of the mistakes made by the central banks that accommodated the upsurge in inflationary expectations rather than contained them. Inflation was finally brought back under control in the early 1980s, but the costs of letting it escape were huge. Could we be making the same mistakes again? In the US, headline consumer price inflation was 4.3% in the year to January. In the Eurozone, it was 3.1% in the year to December 2007. In both cases, there was a gap. In the case of the US, a huge gap between the headline rate and the core rate, which strips out volatile prices of energy and food. If this were a temporary deviation, one would ignore it. But it has been continuing for years, particularly in the US. A cynical observer might well conclude that the Federal Reserve threw caution to the wind years ago. That is exactly what Arthur Burns, then Fed chairman, did in the early 1970s, partly under pressure from Richard Nixon, then president. Has that been happening again in recent years? The question is surely a fair one. The proximate cause of the surge in headline inflation is the global rise in commodity prices. Over the six years to February 2008, the Goldman Sachs Broad Commodity Index jumped by 288%, the Energy Price Index by 358%, the Non-Energy Index by 178%, the Industrial Metals Index by 263%, and the Agricultural Index by 220%. This, then, has been a broad surge in commodity prices albeit after more than two decades of first falling and then more or less stagnant prices. A rise in the relative prices of commodities may reflect inflationary pressures. It may also cause inflation. But it is not itself inflation. And such a rise in relative prices is also precisely what we are seeing. If one deflates the rise in commodity prices given above, by the increase in the unit value of exports of manufacturers from high-income countries, one obtains the following increases in real prices. 147% for all commodities, 192% for energy, 77% for non-energy, 131% for industrial metals, and 104% for agricultural commodities. What we are seeing then is a global shift in relative prices with commodities, particularly energy, becoming far more expensive relative to manufacturers. If one deflates the price of crude oil in the same way, it is more expensive than at any time since 1970. What is behind these surges in commodity prices? The big story is the impact of emerging economies, and overwhelmingly of China, which has accounted for the bulk of global incremental demand for industrial raw materials. Between 2000 and 2006, China also generated 31% of global incremental demand for oil, against just 20% for the whole of North America. 
The strength of demand in emerging economies does not entirely explain the rise in commodity prices. Mandates to produce biofuels have also had an impact on demand for some agricultural commodities. Also important have been constraints on supply, bad harvests, inadequate investment and higher costs. The rising price of energy is itself a very big reason why agricultural production has become far more expensive. Speculation, however, seems not to be that important. If it were, inventories would now be soaring, but they are not. Because of the steep fall in the value of the dollar against the euro, any given rise in global commodity prices will have a bigger impact on headline inflation in the US than in the eurozone and the other economies with relatively strong currencies. It is not surprising, therefore, that the gap between headline and core inflation has been particularly large in the US. What then does a big rise in relative prices of commodities mean for the proper conduct of monetary policy? It will raise measured inflation. It will also tend to shrink the output of commodity-using sectors, aggregate real incomes and real demand. Which of these effects will predominate is unclear. Given these uncertainties, the right monetary policy response is also unclear, but the general rules are not. Those rules are just three. First, central banks must remind the public that monetary policy cannot give them back the real incomes that higher commodity prices have taken away. Second, the central banks must ignore what seemed purely temporary fluctuations in relative prices, since a response would merely generate unnecessary economic instability. And finally, the central banks should respond to prolonged and continuing rises in relative prices. If they do not do so, upward shifts in inflation expectations and so in the inflation risk premium in interest rates are likely. Such upward shifts would have bad real effects. They would mean, not least, that a policy of aggressively lowering short-term rates in response to a perceived crisis, as in the US today, may fail. As Richard Fisher, President of the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, noted in a speech delivered in London on Tuesday, since the January Federal Open Market Committee meeting, longer-term rates, including those on fixed mortgages, have risen rather than followed the federal fund rates downward. In such circumstances, aggressive monetary policy may have weak, even perverse effects on the real economy. In the U.S. today, inflation expectations are on a knife edge. As I noted last week, the expectations shown in the relation between inflation-indexed treasuries, or TIPS, and conventional bonds appear to be quite well contained. But the Cleveland Fed offers what it calls a liquidity-adjusted series, which allows for the desire to hold more liquid assets in a period of financial stress. On this measure, expected inflation is soaring. The Fed's position is so. The Fed's position is now uncomfortable. The assumption that it can cut rates without fear of the consequences is wrong. If central banks are confident that commodity prices will now stop rising or even fall, they should slash rates in response to any prospects of serious economic weakness. But given the continued rapid growth of emerging economies, they cannot be sure of that. Worse, core inflation itself seems already to be drifting upwards. My guess 
is that the right policy lies between the Fed's one of doing everything possible to eliminate downside risks and the European Central Bank's one of masterly inactivity. Yet we do not know. The reason for that is clear. For the first time in a quarter of a century, the background for monetary policy has become really difficult. But of one thing I am certain, responsible central banks would not risk a return to the 1970s. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.